As children who are raised up to always reach out for more, God of sobriety detoxes our spirits in slower steps so that we may see that we don't have to wait for Christmas morning to open our gifts. With bills still unpaid and deadlines that hang like stockings over our heads, God of delight, remind us that our purpose in life is not to produce for a job, but to participate in joy. Preserve in us a perspective that ensures that the size of our problems will not outweigh the source of our pleasure. We light a candle tonight for joy, the presence of it and our participation in it. God of joy, liberate your people so that we may again laugh at dumb jokes and smile at the gifts that we unwrap in life's wrinkles. With the rising and setting of the sun, remind us daily that we are here to risk delight and not merely to drown in our duties. Together we say, we, we light, light a candle, candle for joy. May it light the way. Hey, good evening, friends, and welcome to church. My name is Matt Mulberg, and I'm one of the pastors here at the table, and I am so tickled. Tickled? Like, would I ever say that in a normal conversation? I'm so excited that you are here with us tonight. Thank you for continuing to show up. Thank you for uh, your willingness to kind of wade through the murky waters of pandemic stretch we're in. Uh, I'm grateful. Debbie's grateful. And I hope along the way you've picked up some gifts and are grateful as well. I keep thinking about that line we just said in that prayer just now, the, the candle prayer lighting thing. We must risk delight, which is such a beautiful idea. To be clear, we didn't, that's not like copyrighted table. It's actually not our own creation. It, it comes from the poet Jack Gilbert, who once wrote it in one of his poems where he says that we must risk delight because we can do without pleasure, but not delight, not enjoyment. We must have the stubbornness to accept our gladness in the ruthless furnace of this world. Don't you love that? I mean, I think it's, I don't know, personally, I think it's a beautiful line, inspiring, but like also mildly aggravating, right? I mean, I, I don't know, Jack, if you're watching right now, um, I don't know when you wrote that pen, but it was presented to the general public around 2005. And if memory serves me correctly, 2005 was just fine. I mean, obviously there was some major problems and tragedies. There was obviously the massive devastation that came with Hurricane Katrina and the heartbreak that came when Destiny's Child fully disbanded. But but other outside of those pieces, like I don't think it was that problematic. I mean, 2005 gave you a hitch. 2005, we had Kristen Wiig come on SNL for the first time. 2005 saw Tiger win the Masters and the British Open. 2005 had its fair share of problems, but like it wasn't 2020. Jack, you wrote about we must risk delight in a time where it was probably pretty delightful. It must not have been that much of a stretch. That's not the where we are right now. 2020 is not 2005. And so when I hear you talk from 2005 about how we must risk delight, I kind of am stuck with the question of like, can we? Can we have joy in a stretch like this? Because think about just real quick, how wild and crazy these past 12 months have really been. I mean, the finish line is in sight and 21 is on its way, but how in the future are you going to explain to somebody when they ask you, what was it like to live through 2020? What will you say? I mean, will you talk about him or will you talk about her? 
We talk about this. We talk about that. We talk about them. We talk about us. What are you going to say? Have you taken any time to actually turn around and be like, wow, we're still here. Both like we're still standing, but also like we're still in this mess of 2020. In this mess of a year where the the breaking news seemed to always find new ways to break us down. Where our, our jaws felt like they were permanently clenched. Where we saw the cancellation of our plans, our weddings, our funerals, our, our birthday parties, our family gatherings. Where we saw the closure of our jobs, our sacred spaces our sports arenas, our schools. I mean, just consider the nature of COVID in America. I'm recording this right now, it's Thursday afternoon. Yesterday was Wednesday, stay with me if you can. Yesterday we had over 3,000 Americans lose their lives to this deadly virus, the highest number so far in this pandemic stretch. That's a lot, that's a heaviness. And so again, I asked Jack Gilbert, like, must we risk delight in a moment like this? And what I love about that poem is that he's not inviting us to risk delight when we are away from the ruthless furnace of this world, but when we can feel the heat rising up from its flames. And so the answer is yes, we must. And that's said by Jack Gilbert, but it's echoed by the leading ladies in the Christmas story as well. I mean, just consider the story that we carry in our, in our Christian tradition. You have Mary, who is this teenager who grows up in Podunk, Israel. She is a part of a community that is fundamentalist and religious and increasingly growing anxious every day that God refuses to speak up. And there was a long stretch of days where God refused to speak up. For the people in Mary's village and in the people in Mary's land, it had been over 400 years since they last heard God's voice. It had been over 400 years since the prophets last prophesied. And if my mounds view high school education math is still working properly, that's over 145,600 nights of God's people calling God's phone and being sent straight to the voicemail. But then came night 145,601 where the people are stuck in the stagnancy and silence until they hear the phone start to ring and God is calling her people back. An angel comes to town and for unbeknownst reasons passes by the houses of every married woman or every at least adult woman and goes instead to the bedroom of a 13 year old girl named Mary where the angel announces to this child of God that she indeed will be carrying the child of God. This is why the angel doesn't start with congratulations but instead starts with please do not be afraid which to be clear is about as helpful as like if I'm in the middle of a panic attack and somebody says just relax like just settle down you'll be fine that doesn't work like that and so how don't be afraid sounds coming from the angels very different than how don't be afraid actually sits in this young girl who is terrified and Luke he makes sure that we don't miss this detail because he tells us exactly what Mary does the moment after this encounter the moment after the angel gets up and leaves Mary does too she books it. She runs. And she has every reason to do so. According to Deuteronomic, I'm not saying that right. According to Deuteronomic, that was closer. According to Deuteronomic laws, if you have sex with somebody who isn't your somebody, the town has legal rights to take you to the edge of the city and stone you to death. And so imagine the predicament that the angels have put Mary inside of. If Mary stays in the city, if she is seen with this baby and she has no paternity test to point to Joseph as the father, she will be killed. 
and so she does not want to be killed and so she runs she heads for the hills now contrary to maybe some christian paraphernalia or propaganda that you have heard in the past mary is not running out to the hills with joy to the world in her mouth she is running into the hills with an impulse of survival in her chest she's not going out there to tell people about the coming of the christ she does not want to die she wants to survive she wants to still be standing to see her story go all the way through and i can't imagine that this is how she envisioned her teenage years playing out just like when we look at our lives right now I can't imagine that where we are, what we are going through, is much of how we thought our lives would play out. Isn't it amazing, uh, and I'm just as guilty of it as the next person, but uh, isn't it amazing how cocky we are about how our lives are going to unfold? I met recently some young buck who was telling me about who he was going to be by the time he turned 35, and he had yet to turn 22. And I wanted to laugh at him or punch him or something in between. But I'm thinking like we do this, right? We all have these storylines, these scripts that we abide by with our lives, this idea where um, I will do this and then I'll go there, I'll work here and then I'll marry them, or individuals, maybe not a plural, I'll, I'll marry somebody, um, I'll look like this, I'll eat like that, I'll sleep like this, I'll live in this general area and this will be my level of happiness that I'll attain by 30, 35, 40, these will be my, my list of accomplishment. But per BJ's words, life doesn't shake out the way that we anticipate and we never really do arrive. And yet we still believe that we will. We still envision our days playing out where I'll do this tomorrow and then this the next day and the next day and the next day and the next day. But then comes that one day that rearranges the rest of your days and all of a sudden you have an angel in your room that is knocking you out of your rhythm at your house and making you go for a run in the hills because you don't know what next looks like anymore. You, you, you come like to this full-on encounter with this blindsiding move in life where I, I have no say in how it all shakes out. It is as my favorite theologian, Iron Mike Tyson, he once said that everybody has a plan until they get punched. Mary here is left with a bloody lip and with boots on the ground and she's headed for the hills and she's going to see the safe arms of her family. She's going to see her cousin Liz, who is actually kind of in her own peculiar pickle here right now because Elizabeth is this post-menopausal cousin who somehow found a way to get pregnant and that is kind of scary. I mean statistically if you look at the infant mortality rate of this time uh, given like where we were at in the age of the earth infant mortality rate was around 50% and that was for the younger women but Elizabeth most scholars believe was at least 65 but maybe even older. The odds of the baby surviving the birth, the odds of her surviving the delivery, they're, they're pretty slim. They're not looking good. And so Elizabeth is in her sixth month of pregnancy, and somewhere in her mind, she, that has to equate to, I have three months left of life. I mean, if you just look at the numbers alone, Elizabeth has every reason to be terrified and constantly aware that her life is on the line right now, just like her younger cousin Mary has every reason to be terrified and constantly aware that her life is on the line right now. And yet Elizabeth, the mother of the one who will pave the way, and Mary, the mother of the one who is the way. When they finally get together where we expect to find their despair amplified, we instead see their delight in abundance. 
Cousin Liz is so filled with joy that she's convinced that her own baby is throwing a party in her belly. And Mary, just on the spot, in celebration, like in joy, bursts out in song. There is a palpable joy that is happening impromptu on the scene right here before all of us to take in. And, and this doesn't make sense, does it? I mean, for most of us, we've been trained to see pleasure and joy as the enemies of competence and responsibility, especially in a crisis when you don't know what kind of curveball is coming at you next. To burst out in joy with laughter and to burst out in joy in song in the midst of a moment like this does not make sense, at least not to us who have a safe distance from the ruthless furnace of this world, but to those who are close. To those who have seen their script for the story of their lives kind of burn up into ashes in front of them. To those who have received bad news from a doctor. To those who have watched their partners leave their lives. To those who have lost jobs in this pandemic. To those who have experienced the death of somebody they really love. To those people right there who are standing not outside but in the furnace of this world. They know differently. They, they get the laughter, they get the song. Because while for the rest of us, we would say, what a strange thing to do when we take in this scene, those by the fire, they would say that you are saying what you are saying because you can't see what they are seeing. And in my experience, I think that they are actually the ones telling the truth. I think that one of the greatest joys, uh, joy is not the right word, one of the greatest honors, privileges that I have in this pastor job is getting to spend time with people who are close to that fire people who have felt um, suffering on an intimate and not abstract level. And one of the things that's been fascinating and edifying for me is to recognize how much suffering will sober you up to see reality as it actually is. Because when I'm spending time with people who have recently been diagnosed with a threatening disease or who have lost the person that they love more than anybody else, do you know what I don't hear them talking about often? I don't hear them say things like, ah, I don't know who to start in fantasy this weekend. I don't know which outfit I'm gonna wear tomorrow. Oh, I'm so stressed out about this, this bachelor season. Wow, the twists in it. No, I hear them say like, I can't wait to see my kids tomorrow. I, I can't wait to go on a walk with my friend. I can't wait to get out of bed and breathe in and breathe out and take in a good cup of coffee. There's something about these big things that make the little things much bigger. This is actually one of the things that I found so illuminating about Brene Brown's work because she's one of the first to name what these two women in the scene they knew. She's one of the first to discover that where we would expect there to be a great chasm between our joy and our fear of loss, there actually is a deep connection. And I think that's actually why it makes it so scary. I want you to watch this conversation with Brene Brown and Oprah Winfrey. Tricky. What? As someone who studies shame and scarcity and fear, mm -hmm. I will tell you that if you ask me what's the most terrifying, difficult emotion that we experience as humans, yes. Yes. I would say joy. You would say that the most terrifying is joy? No question. Why? You know, I, I often ask parents, I say, uh, you know, I'll have 5,000 parents or something in the audience and I'll say, raise your hand if you've ever stood over your child while he or she was sleeping and thought to yourself, I love you like I didn't know was possible. Yeah, yeah. And then in that split second, picture something horrific happening well, to you. What if child. something happened to you? Yes, yeah. How many of you have ever set up and said, wow, work's going good, good relationship with my partner? Yeah. 
parents seem to be doing okay. Uh huh. Holy crap. Something bad's going to happen. happen. Yes. Right. So what is that? You know what that is? What is that? When we lose our tolerance for vulnerability. Lose our tolerance for vulnerability, yeah. Joy becomes foreboding. I'm not gonna feel you. I'm not going to, I'm not gonna soften into this moment of joy. Because, because I'm scared. I'm scared it's gonna be taken away. The other shoe's gonna drop. So say that again. When we lose our tolerance for vulnerability, you said in the book, but I didn't get it this deep. Go ahead. When we lose our tolerance yeah. to be vulnerable. Yes. Joy becomes foreboding. And so what we do in moments of joyfulness is we try to beat vulnerability to the punch. Yesterday, I'm on the plane. I'm yeah. getting ready to leave. I'm taking pictures and tweeting them out. I'm on the cockpit, Super Soul Sunday, or over <laughs> a bus, maybe. I'm taking pictures. The plane gets down the runway and has to come back because something's wrong. I was like, I knew it. I called Steve. I said, let me just tell you something. I know, because I'm fixing to meet Oprah, <laughs> that I'm going to die. <laughs> and at my funeral, yeah. you better say, she was gonna be on Super Soul Sunday. Oh my goodness. And she's like, foreboding joy, foreboding joy. Foreboding joy. Right. I interviewed a man who told me my whole life, I never got too excited, too joyful about anything. I just kind of stayed right in the middle. That way, if things didn't work out, I wasn't devastated. And if they did work out, it was a pleasant surprise. Oh my goodness. He's, and so many people said, he said, in his 60s, he was in a car accident. His wife of 40 years was killed. Uh-huh. Wow. And he said, the second I realized that she was gone, the first thing I thought was, I should have leaned harder into those moments of joy. Because mm. that did not protect me from what I feel right now. We're trying to, we're trying to dress rehearse tragedy so we yes. can beat vulnerability to the punch. Yes, 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 yes. So you, want, so you know what happens? This is what the joyful people do. This is what I learned from them. In those moments, we're like, they're getting ready to come here or they're looking at their children or their partner or something great. They get that shudder too, but you know what they do? They don't say, oh, there's that shudder of terror about feeling joyful. I'm going to dress for here's tragedy. They say, I'm going to practice gratitude. So I just sat on that plane on the runway for 20 minutes going, I'm grateful. I'm grateful. And I think I was like BSing a little bit. I was faking. I am grateful. But gratitude is a practice. It is tangible. You can see it. Yeah. It's not an attitude of gratitude. Absolutely. It is a practice. And what I found is that when you actively practice gratitude, where you concentrate on not just thinking about it, but write things down, you go through the day looking for it. You There's go no through question. The, you go through the day looking for it. Isn't it amazing? It's like mm -hmm. magic. It is. And you know what I think we appreciate? The little things. Yes. I think one of the things that happens in a culture of scarcity is we're all chasing the extraordinary and we forget. Like when I interviewed people who went through horrific things. I mean, I'm talking about the loss of children, genocide, violence, trauma. And I talked to them about what's the hardest loss. They never talked about the extraordinary things. They said, I miss the ordinary moments. I miss hearing the screen door slam and knowing my husband's home from work. Mm -hmm. I miss hearing my kids fighting in the backyard. I miss the way that my wife set the table. And those are the moments that are in front of all of us every day that we could stop and say, God, I'm grateful for this. Mm -hmm. So okay. I'll just say right now, I'm so grateful for this. Oh, me too. No, I am. I'm me so too. grateful for it.
I love how Brene Brown talks about how vulnerability, being naked and unashamed and present with where you actually are and who you're actually with, not protecting them from what may or may not come, but recognizing that that may or may not come, that is where the joy lies. It is going into the heart of the darkness. It is plunging the depths of the fears and recognizing that our worst nightmares, they may actually come true, but not right now in this moment. When you go into the heart of the heaviness and you see how quickly all that you love could become all that you have lost, when you recognize that everyone that you're with, everyone that you love, everything that you have, that you actually have no power to save it, then you actually can participate in savoring it. You can actually start cherishing the ones that you're with, cherishing the moments that you have together. You can actually be with them and that's where the joy resides. That's where the laughter cracks up out of nowhere and the song bursts out unseen. If you are a mom or a dad right now and you are terrified about the child that you are trying to raise up and you're worried that they might fail out of school because of this pandemic or they might become a heavy drinker at the age of 12 and they might end up in prison by 16, whatever the thing may be, my, my good news for you is that, yeah, that might happen. The, the worst things, it, all the ugliness that you are like drumming up in your head, that actually could play out that way. But not today, not here, not right now. In this moment, you get to raise this kid. In this moment, you get to stare at your child. In this moment, you get to have a conversation with them. And that goes far beyond the realm of parenting. If you are a business person, you're starting a company in this economically trying time, like it might crash and burn it might people might not dig it they might not be picking up what you're putting down but still you get to try to put it down you, you still get to try to start something you still for this moment like you get to make this art you get to try your hand here you get to ask that girl out you get to lean in for that kiss i don't know how your marriage is going to all shake out but you get to be married to that person today and that is a gift life is a gift the word for joy in greek is cairo and has its roots in charis and charis means gift joy is the awareness that life is a precious gift that it is fragile and so i'm going to hold it tenderly and i'm not going to let it go loosely it matters way too much for me to delay it by addicting myself to to protection plans or this need for guarantee or certainties, needs that will never be fully quenched. I remember when I felt this most acutely the first time that I held my son while our firstborn. And I remember going into the nursing room and, and the nurse putting him in my arms and suddenly I felt like, uh, I don't even know, I haven't been properly trained for this. I skimped any kind of instruction manual that may or may not have been out there. But then I moved from a different kind of fear because now I was holding my arms and I remember feeling like I love this baby more than I thought was possible. There's a depth of feeling like in me for him that I, I didn't know was possible. And then it went to, oh my gosh, if I lose this kid, if something were to happen to him, everything is lost. Everything is gone. And I remember having this voice saying, but that's not happening right now. Right now, you are holding a gift. Unwrap it, open it up, and cherish the gift that God has given you. Life is a gift. Unwrap it, open it up, and cherish the gift that God has given you. I know it's scary. I know it's hard. I know it's 2020. But we must risk delight.
It's Advent, and we're in the middle of this sacred story, a story that's about pregnancy and family and incarnation and birth and God with us. I think the deepest longing of our hearts is to rejoice in the presence of Jesus right in our midst, right now. And as Matt talked about that experience of joy and the knowing joy is when we actually realize that what we have is this moment. That life is short, that life is fragile, but we have the gift of joy in all these beautiful moments of life. And I love the idea that those moments, those experiences of joy aren't for us to save, but they are for us to savor. So that's what we invite you into tonight. It's just to savor, savor the joy, savor Jesus in your midst right now. And we do that as we share in the communion table. The night before Jesus died, he sat at a table with his friends, his disciples, and he took bread and he broke that bread. And after giving thanks to his father above, he said, this is my body broken for you. Eat this and remember me. And likewise, he took the cup, and after pouring wine into the cup, he said, This is my blood shed for you. When you drink from this cup, remember me. So together we do that. It's something, part of our rhythm at the table, that each and every week we do together as a community, as the body of Christ. And when we take the bread and we dip it into the cup, We get to experience Jesus in our midst right now, right in this moment, and the joy that comes along with that. So as you take your bread, hear these words. The body of Christ broken for you and his blood shed for you. And now together, let's pray the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Our God, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, the glory forever. Amen. Let's worship together.